As professional financial advisors, we strive to build a brand that portrays mastery. The tragedy is that we can easily lose track of what true genius is, the ability to do the common uncommonly well. Finance, just like fitness, is built on simple, functional principles. You pick things up, you put them down, and you get stronger, right? Functional finance is about getting back to those basics, diving into the fundamentals, and resisting the urge to chase that noise. Jess Vost is a retirement income certified professional and the vice president of brand partnerships at Alpha Architect. Due to industry regulations, Jess will not discuss any of Alpha Architect's funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by Jess and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Alpha Architect or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For more information, please visit www.alphaarchitect.com. Hi, everyone. My name is Jess Bost. I am with Alpha Architect today. I am so excited to have here with me Shannon Sakosha from Boston Private, uh, and she is the CIO there. She has her CIMA, yes, mm-hmm. and her uh, CFA, which is something that in the long shot I have in mind for myself. And I believe, are you working on your CFP? Yes, I am signed up for my CFP, um, which I put on hold based on our uh, our acquisition by Silicon Valley Bank earlier this year. But that is my long-term goal is to complete uh, the CFP certification. Yeah, so. yeah. I And we'll talk more about this later, but just, you know, you starting out on the CFA side of finance mm-hmm. and me starting out on the CFP side of finance. And I feel like we've we found each other through Twitter, but yeah. also kind of in, in the in the middle and the merger of those two uh, disciplines of finance. So I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. Uh, no, thank you we'll, for we'll, having me. I'm yeah, excited. Yeah. Friday. Um, it's Friday. <laughs> I know. I was about to say, we're going to kick back, have fun on this uh, Friday and enjoy. Just we'll start off with some conversation about fine uh, fitness and um, probably continue with that. Talk a little bit about finance. Who knows where we'll go. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, all right. So fin- uh, fitness, fitness, fitness. Tell me your most favorite exercise. I actually, uh, you posted on this yesterday, uh, maybe the day before. I love squats. Like Yay. not definitely not the level of weight that I think you do and, and some others that are more fit. But, um, you know, I, I grew up as, you know, athlete, you know, playing a lot of team sports and um, I've had several injuries. I've torn my ACL three times. And oh, so, um, so one of the big things that I learned was that, you know, as you, after you injure yourself and then as you go into adulthood, you know, you don't have that team sports support, you know, kind of pushing you to be fit. And so, mm-hmm. um, I've been through various iterations of, you know, whether it's running or cardio. And so now I do, you know, a lot of interval training, um, that, helps me to strengthen my leg muscles because they're, you know, they're still weak after all of the injuries that I've had. And so I, but I find that, you know, just kind of lower body exercises in general, just, I think maybe because of all the PT that I've done, they're a lot easier for me. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas like upper body is just like, Oh, I'm like this weak child. (laughs) I, I, I feel the same way. So I'd much rather be doing something with my legs than with my arms. 
yeah. any day, any day <laughs> and, um, have to really mentally push myself to go there. So, yeah. And cardio for me is just so, you know, it's, it's just not that enjoyable. And so I find with some of the interval, like hit, you get the cardio, but you're not feeling like you have to go run five miles, which is definitely not my, uh, my cup of tea. Yeah. So, so tell me, you said you played sports high school. College? I did. Yeah. I, I played, um, I played up through high school. I was, uh, primarily a basketball player. That was my, my primary sport, but I cool. played softball. Um, I ran track, I played soccer and I actually, um, the, the, I think the reason I injured myself was playing soccer. And then as an adult, I injured myself playing soccer too. I was one of those folks that were like, yeah, over 30 soccer. That's a great idea. For These adult leagues had... that, that, that suck you in. To... Yeah, yeah. 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 No, my, I remember I went to play and my husband was like, are you sure? Like you're, you're really not supposed to be playing soccer. Um, you know, after two ACL reconstructions, I was like, I'll be fine. And I knew exactly what I tore at the third time. I was like, yep. So you tore it as an adult the third time. I did. Yeah. Mm. Um, Mm. when I was about 35 or so. Mm. Yeah. So, so that was the last time I was able to play soccer. (laughs) I am not allowed now. I guess I, I sort of help my kids, but even that I'm, you know, very, very loosely playing in the backyard. Not, uh, not anything too strenuous. (laughs) Speaking of your kids, I was laughing so hard the other day on Twitter. I think you, one of them did a back walkover or something. Oh, my daughter and the growth mindset. Yeah. So yeah, she's, um, She's a hoot. Yeah. My daughter has a, has a lot to say and, um, they're teaching them about growth mindset in school, you know, as in terms of like, you know, learning to, to write. And, um, and she's, she's applying this growth mindset concept broadly to, if you haven't, if you weren't able to do it, I was trying to bolster her, you know, she had, she had had a difficult day in in math on a math test. I was saying, well, like, but like, look at all the other things that you do that are really, you know, accomplishments. And then she came back to me with that. I was like, well, I think we're done here. (laughs) Man, they can be brutal. They can be so brutal. Absolutely. With their honesty (laughs) and with the way that they put the world together. But, oh my gosh. And she's old. She's eight. She's eight. So, oh, yeah. oh yeah. She's sassy oh, yeah. already. So we'll, it'll be a fun few years. <laughs> I love it. Yep. I have a 13 year old ni- girl and a nine year old girl. So the nine's right there with her. I mean, yeah. she'll just fire right back. <laughs> She's so, not mine. I mean, it's great. I, yeah. I, I have, I, uh, I'm not too worried about her as she grows older. Right? I, she's got a very specific idea about, you know, the way w- the world should work. And, um, and I think she'll probably be able to advocate for herself, but it's certainly something that I want to make sure that I'm driving home with her as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was telling somebody the other day with girls, there's, there's such tension, um, bringing them up in the world because I love that tenacity and I love that ownership of their own person. It's, and especially down in the South, it can be very abrasive and mm-hmm. that's not their fault. You know, that's the, you know, that's the, on the part of the other person to be ready to accept that, but you have to teach them like somebody may not be ready to accept who you are and all that you are. So teaching them that resilience along with that ability to own their space is it's a lot. It's just a lot. It's really challenging. Yeah. But come up here to Boston. Everybody's abrasive. So, you know. (laughs) not much of a problem here. <laughs> I've heard that more. I've heard that more than once and it's so tempting. Um, yeah, it's so, but we've got other issues, but uh, yeah, fair enough. Being, being abrasive is, is kind of the way it goes here. <laughs> fair enough. Number one is you don't put sugar in your tea, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, oh, well, Hey, thank you for that. I, 
I, is there any like PR or any other kind of memory that you have from fitness and sports that comes to mind when you think about, Honestly, every time I have, have been able to run any sort of race, it's felt great. I just, I dislike running so much. And so, um, you know, just being able to get out there and even if it's like a 5k or something, it mm-hmm. always feels really nice for me. Um, you know, being able to, to still do some of that and, and feel fit, but no, I mean, I think one of the things that I really came out of the p- pandemic with was just this, you know, ability to commit to a fitness routine and then mm-hmm. feel that you were making strides on a week by week basis, you know, that things were becoming easier. Um, because I think it's really just like everything in life, right? It's difficult at first. And so you have this, I think about it as investing, right? This J curve of like, Oh, I'm super sore for the first two weeks. And I really don't want to go back. And I'm so tired because I'm finally, you know, exercising. And, um, and so you just have to get past that. Just like when you're investing in something from a long-term perspective, it's the same thing. It's really hard to to walk clients through that those initial couple of years where you know they're not seeing that meaningful return on their investment, but you know that it's going to come and it's going to be outsized, right? So yeah. I that that's how I think about, it. and I have to put exercise in in terms of of investing in sort of a long-term plan because uh, there's nothing exciting about it for me. I mean, getting up and going is the last thing I want to do every day, and I'm waiting for these endorphins that people ca- talk about that they don't come the runner's me. high I don't I, I don't, there's either. no there's none of that it's basically just a, a struggle on a day-to-day basis and then I look back over six months and I say oh yeah I, I feel better I look better my clothes fit better that's you know I feel better about myself um because I feel like I'm sleeping better things like that and I have better balance in my life but there's nothing that's like yeah it's 5 30 I can't wait to do this that's <laughs> that's not it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like, yeah. So. And I can, I think that's, um, you know, that's part of just learning and adapting to what you want in the long term versus what you feel like doing in the short term. Yeah. And, and just like you said, it's not, I mean, it's a concept that applies so broadly to life, you know, from, from fitness into finance and like, and especially with clients when you're first getting them started on the savings plan and it just doesn't really feel like they're making much traction. I remember thinking whenever I was young, um, you know, I went to the, the Dave Ramsey, you know, big, um, conferences and thing, you know, things like that, where you're trying to figure out how to get your life in order as a young adult Mm -hmm. professional, you know, and they were talking about, you know, saving, what was it like $5,000 a year? And I'm like, five thousand dollars a year like how am i ever going to be able to save five thousand it's impossible you know and so that was um it 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 crafted and it you know kind of cultivated a little bit a lot of my philosophy on how i work with clients is breaking that up into bite-sized chunks you know trying not to scare them with the big numbers and trying not to overwhelm them with um the the broad huge picture that that they you know, we might arrive at that one day. That's the goal, but breaking it down into those meaningful pieces has been always been a part of my strategy with working with clients. But, um, but yeah, I feel it too. In fitness, I have to do the same thing. In fact, there's a athlete, Annie Thoris daughter, who's CrossFit athlete. And she's, um, won the games one year and she's been competitive in it for several years. And she, um, her coach, Ben Bergeron, he talked about her, ability to break down her workouts into manageable pieces and bite-sized pieces and how that is specifically 
something that she does better than anybody else that he knows. Um, you know, if if they're going out and running, um, you know, eight, eight hundreds that day, then all she's thinking about is what is it going to take for me to run the next one? Like she's not Mm -hmm. even thinking about the seventh or eighth one or the third one. She's thinking about this next one. And, um, and I do, I think that's a, a big piece of that mentality that people need to have is what's next. And can I take that next step? And can I do that next thing? Um, well, it's so hard. I mean, especially when you're younger to, to, you know, there's this delayed gratification aspect of it. And, you know, your brain isn't fully formed when you're, you know, 22, 23, 24 years old. And that's when, you know, if you go into a calculator on fidelity.com or something, they're like, well, if you start saving today and then, you know, it gives you like, you know, you, but you've got to save this every day for like the next 40 years or whatever. It's, it's overwhelming. So to your point, you know, that's why, um, you know, we, I, I, I sit on the 401k committee for our company. And so we think about things like auto enroll and, Mm -hmm. you know, auto escalation of your 401k. And I think that's, you know, it's like a re-up every year. It's, you know, it's an opportunity to say, okay, like, what have I done this year in terms of saving for my retirement? What have I done? Because it does create that, that path and those pieces so that, you can take a step back and you can build on it because I, I think that a lot of what we do from a planning perspective, we talk about it in terms of, yes, you have to have this long-term perspective, but you know that you're going to have to um, go through these inflection points with your client on an ongoing basis. And mm-hmm. how do you deal with that? Um, and so there's, there's a, a myriad of, of strategies for that, but I think, you know, whether you're using sort of life events as those inflection points or whether you're just doing it on a time basis, um, or whether you're doing it as a, in terms of like the overall wealth level, like, okay, let's get to the point where you've saved $15,000 and then let's get to that net, you know, do we need to ratchet it up? Or when you get a promotion, let's have that conversation because, you know, let's not let lifestyle creep get in the way of some of these long-term goals. But that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, you got a promotion, you want to go out to dinner, you want to celebrate, like right. those are nor- those are normal things. And right. so- Um, And I think, you know, you're on, you're on Twitter just as much as I am. And you see all those things like the, you know, the fire um, strategies. And I'm just like, I'm not going to spend any money. I I could never do that. I, 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 I'm not going to not spend money for five years so that, you know, I can retire. First of all, I love what I do, but I think those are the, you know, type the binary nature of some of the conversations that used to happen in the planning space and in the investment space. Right. It was like, you know, we had to get this return. I, I don't know that we really talk about things in those terms anymore because I don't think that they mean anything. Like if, if a client comes to me and says, I need 7%, I'm like, 7% of what? <laughs> for what? Over right, what time what? period? Yeah, right? right. It doesn't, yeah. it, 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 that doesn't mean anything. It's like, well, what, you know, what do you want to do with your wealth? We call it like our why of wealth. And, and how do you want that to be expressed? And then, then how do we partner with you to make that happen? And so I think that's where, you know, we were talking about the intersection of like planning and investing and like we sit in this middle space. Um, people used to invest to for a return, right? For explicit return. And when we hire asset managers, yeah, that's what we do. But I think in the wealth think- management space, that needs to be more, com- you know, collaborative. And some of that, I think too, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, was was pulled from this pension mentality, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. That just doesn't exist today. So it's not even a, it's not even a helpful reference point. 
At this no, point. I mean, have you have you seen the discount rates that yeah. pensions use? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. A, and we laugh. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> there's a reason that Calpers can't keep a CIO. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's just it is. It's 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 it was the application of like the defense the defined benefit world on for private individuals mm-hmm. and. That doesn't work. Um, and that's why it's so important that, you know, we've seen the rise of the advisor and as such an important touch point for people and that we talk so much about accessibility to financial advice because it it isn't, you know, that, that shift. It's not automated from, anymore. Yeah. And that shift right. really from defined benefit to, to defined contribution. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know that the folks who did that at the time really understood like the seismic impact that that would have, but mm-hmm. it's basically, it basically grew the financial advisor industry. I mean, that it was did. the start, yeah. right? Yeah, so. yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, um, and I, I believe advisors have not only stepped up to the table to offer the, the advice that's needed for, for clients, but they can, it's so, it's so cool to can see them continue to innovate, um, you know, through a pandemic and then, you know, as we move into more of a technological world where everything is available digitally, but then there's this human side to it that everybody expects. There's a lot on the advisor to deliver. And I even I saw yesterday Samantha Russell posted this very interesting study. And I, you know, we'll have to go back and reference it in the notes. But it it the increasing expectations of the client to see this you know, annual rate, year, year of year annual rate of return and how that has grown over this bear, you know, the, not this bull market in the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. I think that's so interesting. It's a little, I'll be honest, it's a little intimidating. And not, this is where, you know, I enter finance on the side of, you know, behavior finance, psychology, really helping people set up systems, mapping out uh, that next step, you know, and I just brought myself into it from coaching, right? When somebody's looking for coaching, it's about giving them a, a broad picture, some hope for that picture, and then laying out those next few steps, you know, and really just providing the support system so that they show up and execute, show up and execute, show up and execute, show up and execute. Right. And then we get to measure, look back and go, wow, look how far you've come. Isn't this Mm -hmm. exciting? And that provides that stimulus that they need to keep going. Well, you know, that was easy to bring into finance. And what's been challenging for me is your side of it, which is understanding markets and understanding the the craziness of markets and coming into a world where markets have shifted their focus and their dynamics. I mean, yes, we've seen year over year increases, maybe with the exception of the end of 2018. Um, but I mean, there's been so much turnover and turmoil. And then we've got COVID this black swan event and everybody's, but to that point, even markets continue to rise. So we just go up. We just yeah. go up. So now we've got all these investors that expect yeah. that markets just go up. And I know you've seen, you see it from the investment side, but now you understand it and are dealing with it from the human side too. What, you know, what do your conversations look like? I'm, I'm still well, learning. Yeah. You, and you, I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree with me. sits in my seat. I mean, it was, um, you go back. I mean, I, I, when I started in this seat, you know, I was 
it was like 15 years ago. And I remember putting together conversation pieces back in 2006 and talking about, I mean, I was trying to talk investors into investing in the United States because there was no reason to invest in the United States in 2006. You wanted to be in emerging markets. You wanted to be in Europe. You, you know, like the, the U S market was dead, dead as a doornail. Right. And, um, and I remember thinking that, you know, we were, you know, we'd use these quilt charts that everybody sees, whether it's from JP Morgan or Ibbotson, I'm sure it's ours, it from Ibbotson at the time, um, you know, back in the day with all these tools. Which takes are, a PhD to understand. I yeah, see. I mean, no, <laughs> it is. Listen, I had, I had some, I had some really interesting tools back then that I look at and I'm like, I, I don't know how I managed to actually use these. Um, impossible. Um, and so we, you know, but I, and then I look at the last five years or so and people in my seat have been talking about compressing returns, compressing returns, compressing returns, and we're getting them in the fixed income market, right? That 30 year bond bull market is clearly over, I guess, but how, how bad will it be? You know, how high will rates be? you know, I, I talked about this on the show a little bit today. Um, wow, we're we're if we're this scared about like a two and a half percent ten year, there's some excesses in our economy, and so I would say we don't we mm. shouldn't be that concerned about a two and a half percent ten year. Um, but equity returns, to your point, you know, at what point do you? Because I, I I I read a lot of flow data and think about well, so you know, again, defined benefits, defined contribution, people investing at a younger age, people getting better financial advice. Like the spigot continues to be turned on. And we thought this was going to be offset by the depletion from baby boomers, right? Retirees spending, but there were, you know, now people are working longer and now it's, it's just, you get to the point where maybe there is some, you know, clear tailwind that with the liquidity that's in the system, that's probably going to be, you know, not necessarily altogether removed, right? We're going to run a budget deficit for the foreseeable future here in the United States. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things that seem to point to one, you know, a modestly higher inflation rate. Um, although I would agree with Kathy Wood when she says that technology in general is deflationary and technology continues to be a big part of our lives. Um, and then two, you know, there just continues to be demand. Yeah. And, um, and I think people are becoming more um, or less risk averse. I think they're more comfortable with risk. I think you see that with younger generations, they're willing to move jobs, they're right. willing to relocate geographically. Yeah. They're, you know, this, the, it, it's not just in investing, it's mm-hmm. in like lifestyle choices, right? People are betting on themselves more. Yep. You know, especially, you know, college educated, those folks that have been put in a position of, you know, some privilege that there's opportunities there. Um, and so how do you translate that to, okay, how do we get more people involved, but how do we make sure that people understand the risk that they're taking? How do we uh, support an economy that offers more labor mobility that offers it, it there's, it starts with financial advice, but then when you look at it from a macroeconomic perspective, there's so many other factors right. that make it difficult for me to point to a particular period historically and say, yep, I'm going to compare it to that. And yeah. that's why ex- markets are expensive. I, you know, I think macro, I think economics in general is important. I'm, I have a degree in, in, in economics. That's what I do. Um, but I think that this, this, 
behavioral aspect of what's happening globally in our economy, thinking about demographic shifts, thinking about, you know, how people have been raised, what they've been through. Um, you know, we talk a lot about and you know, millennial investors have been through two significant downturns, but they also understand that there's no place else to, to be able to fund their retirement right? except in the market. Yeah. So they're going to put the money in eventually. And we're seeing that now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to what you said, something you said you, you agree with Kathy Wood that yeah. technology is deflationary. Yeah. I understand what you mean by that, but I think there's probably a lot of people that don't understand what you mean by that. And can you expand on that just a little bit and what you're seeing and how that can, you know, maybe offset some of those fears of this inflationary period? That- sure. So, um, and we've, we have already seen this, right? So if you look at the period between 2009 and 2019, right, we, we had, you know, central banks globally trying to engineer inflation, it didn't happen. Um, and one of the reasons that it didn't happen is that um, inflation generally stems historically from wage inflation, and we don't have it. We didn't have it for 10 years. And the reason we didn't have it was not that, you know, companies didn't need people or that we all were being replaced by robots. That's not, you know, don't, don't misconstrue technology is deflationary. Um, but what companies have done is they found better ways to do things. And We've seen that, seen the pros and cons of that, right, in 2020, when, you know, you think about globalization and looking for low labor costs. And so some of that will come back home, um, not just home to the United States, but come home to roost for these companies where it's like, okay, I can't, I can't just shift all of my production to the lowest labor, first of all, because labor costs are shifting constantly. Like, you know, you go from China to Vietnam, and now Vietnam's expensive, and they're finding, you know, so... Um, But I think what happens with technology is that you find better ways to do things. And so companies in general, particularly larger companies, have continued to increase the percentage of their budget towards enterprise spend and technology. And so what you end up doing is that you're able to do more with less, whether it's more with less people or more with less factories, because there is there's less loss, there's less leakage. Um, And so over and technology itself, the actual components of technology are cheaper over time too. And so again, you know, if you're paying less for the actual components of the underlying technology, and then that is utilized to create more efficiencies and productivity, overall, you're not going to get the same pressures from like a wage and, and, and cost input perspective that you would over time. Um, I, I do think that some of this reset and things like wages is, is, appropriate. Um, You know, I I think that there is, you know, an acknowledgement that, you know, maybe we were a bit behind the curve. And I think we're seeing it happen very quickly. But it's because we didn't see it for 10 years, right? So there's we're a little bit behind in what you would have anticipated for wage inflation with uh, unemployment under 4%. Yeah. But I think that that's where Kathy Wood's coming from. Now, she's applying it, obviously, to the ARC portfolio and what she's investing in. But I see that yeah, I see that in other sectors too, though. I see it in big at industrial companies. I see it in things like Square, right? I mean, think about the small businesses you go to um, in your neighborhood and think about the fact that they're able to spend so much less on things like accounting and bill pay and record keeping because of an app like Square and right. that they have it all integrated into a POS and they buy iPads. Like they're not buying a big 
you know, like cash register, like we saw growing up, like it's, it's, that's the type of technology is deflationary things. So then it does help not only big businesses, but small businesses. It doesn't mean they have to hire less people to operate those. It's just, it's an overhead cost that for them is lower. Yeah. And I see it too in the mergers and the acquisitions. I think you mentioned that of companies, you know, and larger companies or even similar size companies that are coming together. Now they don't need all of the employees across both businesses. They can lean out. Um, I mean, I, I don't know that I like the fallout from an employment standpoint on that curve, but uh, you know, to your point, we've got, you know, now one corporation that's running on a similar, not the double the budget, but you know, maybe only a third more of the budget because they're able to, to merge some of these um, roles and positions and then utilize technology better because they've got different minds in this space trying to make all this come together. Um, And I think that actually that also creates like a whole nother industry, right. Of like industry consultants and, you know, um, things like that. Um, You know, I think the biggest challenge from an economic perspective is that I think we have a a supply demand mismatch between the jobs that are the open job openings and the people that, that are looking for those jobs. And I think that that has a lot less to do from an economic perspective with things like unemployment benefits. And I think it has more to do with a reset in what people experienced last year. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that there's, I think there's a lot of people who are concerned about going back into services industry jobs. I think that they see that they're, you know, they're not, they're not that secure. Um, and so I think there needs to be some, maybe a reset and what those expectations are. You're seeing it. And and this is where big companies have the uh, advantage, right? Cause they can offer right. things like free tuition. They can offer slightly higher wages. I mean, your from local businesses, yeah. your local businesses can't offer that. You know, if right. they're looking for, if there's a, there's a Starbucks next to, you know, the, the local pizza place, Starbucks is going to pay more money and then they have better benefits and then they have tuition. It's like, okay, if, if there's a, there's a shortage of workers, you know, it's not going to advantage the small business. And I think that's where you start to see, if you think about sort of the negatives, you know, it, it's, it's just a reset for many small businesses and, and trying to think about, Hey, do we have to do our, are we sustainable? And so I do think there's going to be this kind of second wave similar to what we saw last year where, companies that maybe made it through the pandemic, you know, maybe don't two or three years from now, just because of this shift in dynamics in terms of wage inflation. But, you know, we're seeing price increases too. So right. you know, we're, yeah. we're willing to pay, you know, I mean, I see it, I'm sure you do locally as well, even in local businesses, I see the little cards, you know, we've had to raise our prices. If they can pass that through, you know, there is a, there's a meaningful positive impact to wages going higher. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a, you know, the timing of it is, is we have a, there's, there's a soft spot, I think in most Americans for this shift toward higher wages, because a lot of us, especially millennials grew up in a period of time, 10 years or so where we went from, you know, mid twenties to mid thirties, just barely eking out raises. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually we did what you, you, what you mentioned earlier, we figured out that we had to job hop in order to get that raise. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's been beneficial for our economy or not. I can, you know, for me personally, it just created a, 
and an independence from my employer. Like I'm going to do what I need to do in order to get to where I need to be because I recognize that if I stay here, there's little opportunity for me to grow and for me to be able to feed my family and take care of what I need and put away Mm -hmm. for my future. Um, and so, you know, it, it created a monster in millennials to some degree. We're willing to do that job hopping. The generation behind us saw that and they may have mirrored that pattern or that may have just been the pattern in place at that time. So I'm happy to see the, I mean, like, just like you said, I'm happy to see the, those wages increase a little. And I'm, I'm at a place now where I've done what I need to do to get to where I'm happy to pay somebody a little bit more to do those things because I recognize the correlation there. And I want that for my own kids because they're the ones that are coming right in here behind that. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to fund my kids' lives the way that my parents funded my life (laughs) during those 10 years where I wasn't getting any wage increases. I like, I want this, this trickle down effect for my own kids. Yeah. And I, and what companies want is they want employee engagement and loyalty, right? Loyalty, right. Yeah. They, 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 because again, it's a, it's, 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 it's just comes around, right? It's the cycle. It's like, we have trouble hiring people because people are always leaving because people are looking for better jobs because they're looking for higher wages, which nobody's paying. And so, and then you get to a point where you're like, okay. Um, and you know, I mean, this whole idea of, you know, well, what are the other things that a company offers? And it's like, that's great. Competitive wages is like the core of that. And then other things are the satellite. If you don't have the core though, that what they're finding is, because it used to be, listen, I, you know, I, I had kids. um, I really wanted to work from home one day a week. I worked for a company that allowed me to do that. That was really rare 11 years ago in my business and in, in the investment world. Um, and it was made clear that it was very rare, right? So, um, so that's a benefit. I I, I stayed because of that, right? right? But there are that's not that all of these sort of ancillary satellite, you yeah. know, benefits yeah, are your, more your gym common membership. now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody's staying for that stuff anymore. Yeah. So it has to be. I think it's. I think it's going to be this 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 trinity of, um, you know, competitive pay. Um, like the, the competitive pay and benefits, mm-hmm. growth opportunity, mm-hmm. and then alignment with co- company culture, particularly yep. in the financial services industry. Yep. It's very clear over the last couple of years that, um, you know, I, le- I think at least for, for, you know, the folks that I know, being aligned with a company's culture is something that is really important because if you're aligned with their culture, they're probably providing the other two parts of that Trinity. Right. So and you, it, you can see yourself there into the future. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I'm hoping, I mean, I, listen, I, I hire, I hire people all the time and they get, they, they, some of them leave and I'm always sad when they leave, but I understand, but I'd love, I'd love to hire people and even increase the average stay from two to three years to five or six years. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and afford them the opportunity to get promoted a couple of times and potentially take on, you know, a more senior role in the organization. That to me as a manager, that's what I'm working for. You know, I want to develop careers. I want to develop professionals. I want people to have opportunities. And, um, it, you know, I want to be in a company like I am now that supports that. They, they, they give the tools to the managers to be able to do that. And so that, that's where, that's where I think the, the industry is going. And I think, I, I hopeful that that will yield, you know, maybe not the stays of like someone like me who's been here for, you know, a century in, in, in dog years. Um, 
but I think it will allow for managers to be more engaged too in talent development if they know that they have the option of potentially keeping somebody for five or six years versus one to two. Yeah. Last question. And, and we'll, we'll wrap this up for, for, so this, this makes me curious for that person who, like you said, um, is shifting jobs every couple of years, prices are going up, you know, what personal finance in the midst of that, I think has become kind of a new, um, it's, it's brought its own new challenges, right? Mm-hmm. Because you see these, and especially women now that we're finding ourselves in the workforce and we're pushing for these roles in the workforce and we do have to make these job changes or we may start our own business. We've got this almost like surge of income and then we have this, you know, maybe a year of transition and then a surge of income and then a year of transition and feeling... <laughs> And I'm, I mean, let me just say, I'm, I'm talking about myself, right? So, (laughs) you know, feeling like asking for a friend, asking for a friend here, you know, gosh, I, I can catch myself in the middle of feeling so frustrated. Like I've reinvented myself and I've started over so many times and I just want to feel financially secure. Um, you know, how, like, what are just some things that you can some tips, some ideas, some thoughts that you can bring to the table for that person uh, that is in the midst of those, you know, finding their career place, feeling like, am I so far behind? How do I navigate this world? How do I navigate inflation? How do I, if I need to change jobs right now, how do I do that and continue my focus on my personal finance in the way that I need to? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the, the hardest thing about about personal finance and because it's like the, um, the idiom about the cobbler's kids. Right. So I do finance every day. So how many, how many times do you think I look at things like my 401k? Like (laughs) never, Never. um, set it and forget it. Like, you know, um, but I, I think what it is, is that it, it has to be as important a day to day or a week to week thing for you as, you know, as the simple parts of finance, like paying your bills or going through and making sure that, you know, your furnace is being serviced. And so you kind of have to hold yourself to that because it's not supposed to be fun either. And I think that that's the caveat that I would give to people. Like it's part of your job. It's part of just like laundry. I think about it in terms of, you know, once a quarter, you know, going through and being like, okay, I've got to take the clothes that my kids have grown out of and, you know, gift them, give them to goodwill and then you know, get like replace those. Um, I think about it in terms of that. And and when you're going through a transitionary period, you just have to be really honest. Like if you put it in a drawer and you don't think about it, it's not going to get better, right? It, it only gets worse if you don't pay attention to it. It's yeah. like, if you don't feed it, Um, either from like a monetary perspective or an attention perspective, it just gets harder. And just to be honest, it's like, Hey, listen, uh, about lifestyle creep. So I've had a really good year. I see this in, you know, salespeople all the time, right? Have a good year, new car in the driveway next year. It's like, we're not going out to dinner anymore, folks, you know? (laughs) So you you have to be on top of that. And so again, just making sure that you're always, you're kind of always moving the goalposts on yourself, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, this year I need to do this. And this year I need to do this. And 
sometimes you have to feel uncomfortable. That's the last thing is, is to your point, you know, when you strike out on your own, that's never going to feel comfortable. Um, but being honest with yourself, being honest with your family, being honest with your friends, you know, Hey, listen, guys, we're, I'm starting a new business. Um, Hey, listen, if, if we want to get together as a family, it'd be great if we could just do that at the house rather than going out just because, you know, I'm trying to make sure that we're, you know, saving as much money as possible right now. People appreciate that. And be honest, be honest with your friends, be honest with your family, be honest with your circle. And they will keep you accountable to having that financial freedom that you, that you desire over time. Yeah. Oh, that's so, that's so good. And it comes so that directly aligns. And I don't know, maybe you did this on purpose, but (laughs) with, you know, with just fitness, like if you put your fitness in a drawer, if you put it to the side, if you don't think about it, you know, it's not like it's going to get any better. Um, no, I feel know. like that right now. Like Aww. I feel, yeah, I, I feel, you know what I mean? And I know it's not, it's not getting any better. I'm not paying attention to it and it's not going to get easier, but and it's not you, supposed you need to be to fun, it. but right. it's just one of those things that goes, um, the more you do attend to it, I think the more peace you have about it the more clarity mm-hmm. and the better mm-hmm. you feel about it. And, you know, Samantha, again, she put something out there, you know, the origin of that word wealth is about wellness and health. Right. And, you know, it's, it's that wellness in your finances, the health in your finances. And I love what you said. It's not, you know, it's not picking the right stocks. It's not, you know, it's, the basics. It's, are you budgeting? Are you paying, you know, are you going into debt? Or if you're using a card, are you paying it off each month? Like it's attending to those little things on the daily basis through these periods of times of transition that are going to keep you in the healthy zone so that when you do have a period of time where you can start to surge on your savings or, you know, whatever, you know, that offers you in those other periods of time, you're ready for that. You know, Mm -hmm. you don't have to catch up on your financial health first before you can capture these, this excess income that you're now seeing because your business is doing well, or because you have a, you know, you landed a a job that's taking care of your basic needs. So that's good. Yeah. You get a big bonus. The last thing you want to do is just pay it all, pay up all your debt and then be kind of back to square one. You want to, wanna, you know, want to enjoy that pr- success because it breeds more success, right? You, you, you're working for something and right. for some people it's, you know, philanthropic for some people it's creating stability for their family or their extended family. It's just, you, you want to be able to do something with it. You don't want to always be catching up. Yeah. And I think a lot of that unrest that people feel is that when they do get that, you know, let's say it's the end of the year bonus, they're not able to align that money with their values they have to go back and take care of the junk, yeah. you know, and then you've got that, oh, that di- like this, um, was wrong for this, um, tension that they feel of like, Oh, I really wanted to put my money where it matters to me, but I can't cause I'm handcuffed to this other, right. you know, commitment that I've already made with my money. So yeah, oh. that I may or may not have gotten everything that I wanted out of it from a gratification of, standpoint. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so good. Okay. Well, I feel like we could just talk for hours. I know. This is great, Jess. This thank you so, so much for having me. Yes. Um, thank it's you. really nice to talk to you. Yes. So. One day it's going to be in person one day soon. I know. I I, yeah. yeah. I can't believe I missed the opportunity to do that, but we, we will make it up. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we will. We will. So thank you so much. All right. Thanks so um, much. Yep. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Shannon simply has it all. She's brilliant, thoughtful, wise, a constant learner, and an incredible communicator. To add to that, she's humble and she truly cares about delivering investment advice and information 
that is helpful and understandable to the investor. Shannon is the CIO of Boston Private and can also be found every Friday from 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern on the CNBC Halftime Report. To connect with Shannon on anything we discussed today, look her up on Twitter at Shannon Sakosia, on LinkedIn, Shannon Sakosia, C-F-A-C-I-M-A, or on her website at www.bostonprivate.com. Thanks for listening, friends. Now go lift heavy and be kind.